Welcome to Out of Hours, the fortnightly podcast featuring frank conversations about personal growth, business, and passions, recorded over a drink or two out of work hours. I'm your host, Maxon Jones, founder of Story94, a video and podcast production company based here in Oxford. Today, I'm joined by Harriet McAtee, founder of Nourish Yoga Training and host of In Our Experience, a podcast about living well with Nourish Yoga Training. In this first episode of Out of Hours, Harriet and I talked about learning by doing, taking on risk, and how we both fell into our careers, despite going to university to study and eventually qualify in different industries. We questioned the decisions we made, how we ended up where we are, and the importance of giving yourself time when learning something new or creating your business. But before we get into all that, one thing that I'm excited about, and one thing I think Harriet is also excited about, is that because we're recording this out of work hours, we get to drink. Yes. So, Harriet, what are you drinking? So, I was trying to decide what to bring because, you know, like... (laughs) Potentially bringing a whole bottle of wine <laughs> would have been excessive, but then I was like, I wasn't sure whether there were going to be openers. So I have gone for a tea, like a like a can of wine. Yeah, so I nice. have either a can of rosé or a can of Sauvignon Blanc to go with. Okay. I think I'm going to go with the rosé. Um, what about you? What are you drinking? Yeah, so I am drinking uh, Brewdog Punk AF. Wait which a second. Is, that doesn't have any alcohol in it. I mean, it's 0.5%. It was the only beer that I had in my fridge that I liked. So I decided to bring it along. Usually I'd drink Punk IPA, but didn't have any. Yeah. So we're going with the... Uh, yeah. Alcohol-free version. Yeah. Shall we? Wait, can we? Can yes. We yeah, yeah, I think so. Open. Nice. Okay. My turn. Your turn. Ooh. Mmm. Oh. Delightful. <laughs> Before we get into this episode, Harry, do you want to just give some context about you and Nourish? Because I think that the story of how you founded Nourish and how you became the business owner is really interesting because... Those two things actually didn't happen at the same time. So I have been practicing yoga for a really long time, like stupidly long. I think I started practicing when I was 13 and I've been teaching now for eight years. And I initially founded Nourish when I was I was actually working for another organization. It was a, a yoga charity based in Oxford. It doesn't exist anymore. And I created a teacher training program within this organization. So it was like a business within a business. And then I was doing that for a number of years in Oxford, had studios, was teaching in person, and then lockdown happened, Um, moved everything online. And then the sort of parent organization decided to close. And um, I bought out the teacher training business and rebranded it as Nourish. So that's been Nourish for nearly two years. It'll be two years in July. So we train people to be yoga teachers, both um, in person in Oxford. And then we also run, I guess, sort of like continuing professional development. um, And we deliver that worldwide. So the thing that I find really interesting uh, and I want to kind of talk to you about, but maybe a little bit later, is mm. this whole idea of risk, like starting a business. Mm. And then you had an extra level of risk in the sense of you basically set up your business within another business. Mm-hmm. And then you were almost forced to buy 
your business yeah. from someone else. It was a really interesting moment. Mm-hmm. And, and I really want to kind of come on to that a little bit later on. But to start with, we have a similarity in the sense of that we both trained to do something that we don't actually do anymore. Yeah. So you didn't initially train to be a yoga teacher no, or a teacher or, to yoga teachers. Yeah, or a business owner either. No, exactly. Yeah, so I initially trained to, well, two things. I trained to be a chemist, like I did a chemistry degree. Which I didn't realize until earlier today. Yeah, and then I also trained to be an art historian. So I have two obsolete career paths behind <laughs> me. Um, but yeah, I so in Australia, they let you do two degrees at once, which just makes wonderful sense. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Is that like in the American system where you have like majors and minors? No, no, I oh. have a Bachelor of Science and a Bachelor of Arts that I did at the same time. Did it take you twice as long? It took me four years. Okay. You just don't have any electives, basically. Okay. Yeah. So I did chemistry within my science degree, uh-huh. and I did art history within my arts degree. Um, and really, I like I loved chemistry at high school. It was easily my favorite subject. So I wanted to continue to like be interested in that. So I did that. And then... I was really interested in history, but also really interested, I guess, in culture. So art history was a wonderful way to, I guess, learn about the history of the world and learn about all sorts of different cultures, but through the medium of art. Um, And yeah, and then I I now teach yoga. (laughs) But I did, I think I was, I was talking to somebody recently and they said, oh, so you sort of like learning two things at once. And I was like, well, yeah, actually when I was doing my master's in art history, then I did my yoga teacher training at the same time. So I Mm -hmm. sort of have this history of having parallel, Mm -hmm. like parallel interests, parallel learning happening. So I'll be learning two different things at once. And I read two different books at once. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then, but I think there are things that obviously I learned at uni that I don't use now, but yeah. are just nice to know. Like I'm a fun person to go to an art gallery with because I'll be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> or like walk around an Italian city, like, you know. But what I really got out of uni and particularly my art history degree. Like my chemistry degree was really fun and I had a lot of fun with it. Like I'm not like making meth. So, you know, I'm not putting my yes. not putting my chemistry degree to good use. Um, but, you know, I think the things that I got out of my art history degree were it really taught me to write mm-hmm. and I write a lot now. Um, but it also taught me to like think about the world in 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 different ways and like ask questions and sort of have a bit more of a I guess a, cr- a critical mindset around things but the main thing was that my art history degree showed me that I loved teaching so when I got to honors and into postgrad I was teaching first year students and I loved it I loved teaching. I loved sort of communicating and and talking about, you know, art and and helping people like, you know, deepen their learning, you know, facilitating that experience. And I was like, oh, I could do this. Like, I don't want to be an academic. I don't want to go to conferences. I don't want to be constantly looking for funding, but I could teach. Mm -hmm. So when the thought of being a yoga teacher like popped up for me, 
like I knew that I could do it. Like I loved yoga and yoga had been this sort of parallel thing for me for, you know, I guess like, what, like 10 years at that point. But the thought of teaching it never really occurred to me and then it did and I sort of had total confidence in my capacity to do it because I knew that I loved teaching and I knew that I was good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then I became a yoga teacher. Rest is history. Yeah, and I think it's it's definitely a, a similar situation with me in the sense of... What did you study? So I studied biological sciences at oh, university. Oh, really? Yeah. I wouldn't have pegged that. Yeah, so I, I specialised in infectious diseases in my final yeah. year. Which clearly I don't use now as a business owner, filmmaker and podcast producer. But I I feel like my academic year and the years above me and below me were very heavily influenced and encouraged to go to university. Yeah. So I'm I'm 27. So that was in like the early 2010s. Um, there was never really any doubt in my mind that I wouldn't be going. It was just, you finish school, you go to sixth form. You went to uni. You go yeah. to uni. Yeah. I didn't consider apprenticeships. I didn't consider entrepreneurship. I didn't really consider anything else, any other way of you know getting into the workforce. And it was just what I enjoyed at the time. So that's why I decided to, to study biology at university. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting one in the sense of, did I really need to go? Was there value in me going? I mean, yes, I enjoyed it. It was mm. a lot of fun. Um, but because I don't use yeah what i specifically learn mm. was only value and so i think there's a really interesting conversation around like the value of university for people which don't need the degree Agreed. to go into the career yeah i think there's such a bias in our society and in our culture towards this like oh you have to go to uni mm. and like i think people who haven't been to uni often like feel a little bit of like exclusion or mm-hmm. like, um, but yeah, I really hear what you're saying. I think for me, the experiences that I really value out of uni were like almost nothing to do with what I learned Agreed. at all. Like it was the social stuff. Like I had a history of like, I moved around a lot. So like I went to 10 different schools, mm-hmm. but then when I got to uni, I was finally in one place and it was the first time that I really like made friends mm-hmm. And so the sort of social aspect of uni was so important to me and so valuable, Um, you know, and what I learned was fun, but like, you're right. I don't really, I don't really use it. No. But I guess my question is then like, where do people find those sort of like extra, extracurricular for lack of a better word, experiences? Because I think those are still really important, but how do you have them if you don't have the vehicle of further study? Yeah, because university is more than just the degree that you get at the Mm. end of it. It is everything else. Mm So, yeah, likewise for me, I'm not using the degree, but all those extra things that I did, Mm. those extracurricular activities and societies that I joined and I were part of, I did learn skills through them, which I now use. Mm -hmm. So the first time I ever you know, like photographed an event, I'm not a photographer, I'm a videographer, but the first time like I photographed an event was an event at university. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me realise that I really enjoyed it. Mm. And it was it was whilst I was at university actually that I became aware of like, I, you know, I'm probably not actually going to be going into a career that requires the degree that I'm yeah. studying to get. But it was everything else mm-hmm. that definitely kind of got me arguably to where I am today, do you think you'd be doing what you'd be doing now if it wasn't for going to university? That's a really good question. Hmm. I don't know. I think 
I might be, I think it might've taken me longer to get to mm -hmm. the place I'm at now. And I think maybe I would be doing things slightly differently. It's interesting that you said you think it would take you longer. Because mm. when you think about it, that's time when you're at university that wasn't spent actually, you know, making progress in the career that you're in now. Yeah. I guess the, the thing for me, so my master's was like the last year in Australia that it was free to do an MPhil. Okay. And I also got paid by the government to do it. Right. So I was being paid, like, I don't know, it wasn't much. It was like 24 grand a year, which in pounds is like, I don't know, 12,000 pounds a year. So it was like n not a lot of money, but it meant that I didn't have the pressure of having to do a ton of other work. Uh -huh. So I had the time in the space to do my teacher training. Whereas like if I was in undergrad, I definitely didn't have time in undergrad because I was mm -hmm. doing two degrees. And then like, I've also been relatively financially independent since the go. So I've had to work the whole way. Mm -hmm. So I think going to uni sort of gave me freedom in other ways to, to have time to do things like my teacher training that I, I wouldn't have had if I was working full time. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think it might've taken me longer to figure out that I enjoyed teaching, but I don't know. It's an interesting question, but yeah. What about you? Do you think you would have, um, still be doing what you're doing? It's a difficult one really, because I guess this kind of takes us on to the next bit where we're talking about, you know, setting up businesses mm. and the risk associated with that. Yeah. Because there's, there's a safety blanket when you have, uh, I mean, a relative safety blanket when you have uh, a job, you're employed by mm -hmm. someone else. I kind of feel like, so, so beyond just my um, uh, bachelor's in biology, mm. I actually went on to do a master's in digital marketing. Okay. And that was how I actually You sort of use that now. Uh, well, yeah, a little bit, but I didn't finish it. Okay. I didn't think it was particularly well taught. Yeah. Um, so I dropped out of that about halfway through. Okay. Basically, I kind of, I, even though there was a risk associated with turning the business, mm. I tried to just think of it as if I give myself just a year to to set it up, to try and get some clients, to try and make, mm -hmm. I think I set myself top like £10,000, mm -hmm. which, you know, isn't loads of money yeah. um, for a business to be making. But I was like, if I can just like hit that target, if I make it achievable mm -hmm. um, and I hit it, then that's validation that I can then do a second year. Yeah. So I kind of, I played it safe with everything else mm. to allow me to take that risk. Mm -hmm. um, so would I have done that had I not gone to university? Probably not. Because mm. I probably, if I hadn't gone to university, I probably would have gone straight into a career, mm -hmm. could have been three, four years deep. Mm. And at that point, the risk associated with leaving a career after four years, mm. you're still early in your career, but sure. you're still, you know, that's mm. quite a bit of time yeah, yeah, yeah. to then drop out or mm -hmm. stop and, and try something else. Yeah. I think there is a, there's a bigger level of risk associated with that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Mm. It's a tricky one. It's the thing with hypotheticals is you, there's, there's literally no answer and you, you can't wind back the clock to find out. Yeah. But for you transitioning from your studies, mm -hmm. so you were doing, you did your, your bachelor's together and then you're doing a master's yeah. and that was when you're doing started your yoga training yeah how did you then transition from finishing that to doing yoga training full-time well it was it was over a few years so I think 
one of the things I did, which I'm so pleased about now, is that I started teaching yoga whilst I was doing my training. So I didn't I didn't wait for my training to end before I started teaching. Um, and you can do that. And it's something I really encourage my students to do now. If they're really interested in teaching, I'm like, you do not need to wait for this training to be over. Mm-hmm. For me, it was sort of similar to what you're saying. It was like starting slowly. Um, and then before I knew it, I was sort of teaching full time. And then I guess for me, the step into training was more supported or was coming from a more stable place because it was this sort of entrepreneur situation Mm -hmm. where I wasn't having to like quit work that I was already doing or raise capital or Mm -hmm. anything like that. It was sort of within the support system of of a pre-existing business. Um, I will say that I did overwork myself so like I didn't let anything go that I was already doing I like added on which meant that for a while there I sort of had like three jobs and that was too much um but I think I think people can have a really interesting relationship to risk and I see a lot of people who are very very risk averse Mm -hmm. and I think it's 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 about balance and making educated um, guesses or like, you know, educated risk in Mm -hmm. a sense. Um, And I think my, my relationship to risk now is that it's something that I, like I'll try most things once Mm -hmm. with the business, but I really try and learn and think about, what's gone on and I talk to a wide variety of people about like oh this didn't work like would you, you maybe they have thoughts about why but you know when it came to buying nourish and like sort of buying out and and rebranding that felt like a really big risk yeah yeah huge because also it was like the middle of a global pandemic and we didn't know we didn't know when that was going to end or what that was going to look like. And I was sort of, I was faced with the choice of walking away from at that point, three years of work and content development and intellectual property development and walking away from, at that point I had like 50 students enrolled. So walking away from the students, walking away from the content that I developed and having to start fresh or taking the risk to sort of negotiate to, to, to buy out the business. Um, and like, it was, it was incredibly stressful. Um, and I think ultimately I'm really pleased with the outcome. Uh, and I mean, I can't imagine having to take a risk like that again, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I think, I think it was also because I, I felt really comfortable taking it because I had this amazing community of friends and colleagues and peers who were like, we want this for you. Um, I ran a crowdfunder, which like helped me with some of the money that I used to buy it. So I felt like I had a bit of a, um, I guess a safety net mm-hmm. in 
in that there was a community of people that were really invested in what I was doing and that really wanted me to continue doing what I was doing. So even though it felt like a massive risk, it felt like a risk that was important and necessary to take. Did you ever consider walking away or was it once once it, you were faced with the with the decision it was no I just need to make this work I need to find the money I need to buy it initially it was quite a confusing and upsetting situation for me and I considered walking away for sure and just starting fresh like mm -hmm. completely restarting um, and I sort of did some research and explored what that might look like and ultimately um ultimately I decided like you know to double down in a sense um, because I did really I really believed in the work that I've been doing you know for three years I've been working in, like incredibly hard with a great team of people um, I also felt a real duty to the students that I had enrolled so I think even though even though there were sort of other options that I was considering once it became clear to me that I was going to have to buy or start fresh. I always knew that I was going to end up buying it out, but it's just like how I got there um, that that took some time to figure out. That is an incredibly risky thing to do mm. because selling for business, yeah, it has, has its risks, mm. but you can mitigate them by minimizing the amount of investment you put in or all that yeah. kind of stuff. But to... I guess you had the proof though that it was already successful, it was already working. Mm, mm -hmm. But like pre-pandemic only. But then it's another thing in, in its entirety to actually, because I mean, when when you basically you were building Nourish within this other business, mm. you were an employee, you weren't the business owner. So to then be like, okay, I'm going to buy this business mm -hmm. that I've built mm -hmm. and now I'm a, an entrepreneur, yeah. not an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you're now a business owner. Yeah, that then has loads of other things associated with it that yeah. you then had to learn. Yeah, I mean, definitely, what I didn't do at uni was like how to run a business. Nope. Like I've had to learn how to run a business like on the go as I'm doing it. Um, thank goodness for my accountant, and I have like an incredible bookkeeper. And I will say that like I think that is one of the reasons why. I don't know. I don't know if, I guess I'm successful. Like, you know, I guess that's one of the reasons why I have the level of success that I do is because I have a great team. Mm -hmm. Like I don't try to do it by myself. It was like, you know, like when I, I, I'd been thinking about doing a podcast for a while, but it never like the time or the space hadn't arisen. And um, I also knew I wanted to do it well. So like when I came across you, I was like, oh, great. I'm going to like, you know, assemble this podcasting team and it's going to happen, <laughs> right? But, you know, that's why I have an accountant. That's why I have a bookkeeper. That's why I have an assistant. Like they all contribute to me being able to like have the business oversight that I do. But I'm still learning. Mm. Like I still make poor choices. Yeah, I don't think you ever stop learning and this goes beyond business. This yeah. is just life in general. Yeah. Like you're... There's always new things to learn. There's always new ways to learn. I mean, YouTube for me is basically my school. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> not a single thing that I can't find a tutorial to on YouTube. But it is a great resource and there is so many resources out there. And having like a, building a team and having mm. people that you can depend on, mm -hmm. I mean, the difference between failure and success. 
And I think there's this real myth around business and risk taking that it's like this thing that you do by yourself. Yeah. Like this, like, like, I don't know, like Wall Street, like going out there and you're like, you know, you've got your cape attached to your suit jacket or something. (laughs) And it's just not, it's not the case. Like anybody that, I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's the case for some people, but I think, you know, when you are taking that risk and you're going out there and you're making a business, you're doing that with people behind you. Oh, yeah. 100%. You know. And I th- I think like the first year of business, I always find from my experience of setting up one business, mm-hmm. um, you have so much support there because it's almost like an underdog story. People mm. want you to succeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Definitely. you're going to get referrals. You're going to yeah. get people wanting to give you work mm. because there's a story associated with it and it's fresh and it's new. Yeah. And I think it's almost once you get into the second, third, fourth year mm-hmm. is when it's like... The story is no longer compelling. You're no longer this one person going against the think, system. I think those are the hard years. Like the, you know, I think one of the things I was thinking about as you were saying that is that a lot of people in my experience don't give either self-employment or a new business enough time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's and it's not the case in every situation, but like you ride that wave of the first year where you've got lots of people supporting you. Great. And then you'll get this like peak and then a trough. Oh yeah. And the trough is where people like abandon shit because they're like, well, this is a failure now. And what they, what you don't often realize is that after that trough, you sort of come back up and you'll stabilize and you're like not going to be back up at that peak straight away, Mm -hmm. but you'll find some sort of equilibrium that's manageable. Yeah. But you need to like, there's an element of like sticking it out. Yeah. So you have this like bit in the middle whilst you're, you know, you're over that initial like honeymoon phase and then before you sort of find maturity in a sense. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a great book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And in it, he talks about the valley of disappointment and it's the difference between your expectations of where you want to be and where you actually are. So as time progresses, the, the difference between those two points, you know, where you are and where you want to be, increases over time. Um, and that results in a lot of people quitting you know, early. Um, but eventually, if you give it enough time, the results of your work compound and suddenly you know, where you are overshoots your expectations. Yeah, and I, I'm not... I I agree. And I I think it's not even about a language of like, I don't want people to like tough it out. Like you shouldn't be suffering. No. But it's about exactly what you just said. Like giving it time is a really good way of thinking about it. I also think like having realistic expectations is so important as well. Like the number of times uh, people will be interested in coming on the teacher training and I'm in the like initial intake phone call and they're like, so I really want to quit my job. And I'm like, oh, how do I, how do I tell you to not quit your job? Because like teaching yoga full time is like less than 10% of yoga teachers, like easily. Mm-hmm. Like most yoga teachers have other stuff that they do. It's very rare that you teach yoga full time. If you do teach yoga full time, you're going to be teaching like 20 or 30 classes a week. Like if you want to like live. So, you know, making sure that your your expectations are realistic around your business. Like, okay, maybe you teach five classes a week or maybe you teach 
10 or like how do you have, you know, it's such a cliche, but how do you have a portfolio of things that you do? Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, you know, you end up building up, I guess, a, a lot of anxiety, but then also a lot of resentment around the work that you're doing because you feel like it's not serving you. Yeah. And that's not a, that's not a supportive dynamic to get into with your work, I don't think. No. And I think a lot of people romanticize the idea of being oh. an entrepreneur. Like it, it can sound so glamorous and exciting yeah. from the outside. Yeah. There's a meme that I saw, which was like, I gave up working my nine to five to work 24 <laughs> <laughs> seven. Yeah. And it's like, that's so true. It's so true. Because it's so hard to, to switch off. Mm. And it's almost like if you're if you're wanting to pursue setting up your own business, mm-hmm. then I kind I really hate the phrase like side hustle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but you can you can do things at the weekend and you can find time in the evenings, and that's going to be you know harder for some people than others and, and easier. But mm. it doesn't have to be this like brick wall. You stop and then you start something mm. entirely new because that then is incredibly risky. Yeah. I did it because I, I I remember thinking like I should really get a part-time job whilst I'm doing this. Mm. My argument against and, and the reason why I didn't was because I felt that if I was splitting my time between mm. two things, it would take me twice as long to get where I wanted to go. Sure. Whether or not that's true or not and whether or not that played out, who knows? Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, there are more than just yeah, I'm, I want to quit my job and I want to start doing this new thing. Like, ease it, find a transition. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I think I think letting go of some of the romantic notions about being an entrepreneur or being self-employed is really important as well. Like, I don't know. I get this a lot because, like, I live on a boat. I'm a yoga teacher. I have my own business. People are like, what is your life? And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's pretty great. But also, like, I've worked really fucking hard. And I continue to work really hard. Um, And, yeah, some days I'll only work a couple of hours. But then I'll have days where, I, you know, I start at 9 and I finish at 9. I work weekends, you know, I was, I've had, had this past weekend off, which almost never happens. And even then on Sunday, you know, there was an issue with the zoom with one of my, with one of my trainings and I had to jump on and like sort it out. So you're never like, like there's always part of you present with Mm -hmm. the business. Yeah. And like rightly so. Like, but if I wanted to go and work in a job where I could leave my job at my job, I would I would do that, but I don't want to. Like I yeah. want to feel like I'm building something and creating something. So that comes with like a trade-off. Yeah, it's the sacrifices that you make. I do think there's something to be said though for like a nine to five job where literally you can go in, you can do your job and then you can like leave it at the door. Yeah, I would be miserable. Home. You'd be miserable doing that? 100%. I think a lot Also, of, who wants to work nine to five? Okay, well, not nine to five, but you, like in a job where you can like actually like legitimately switch off yeah. and enjoy your evenings and enjoy your weekends. Because I do feel like, especially with, again, I don't do this, so I don't know, but I do feel that like with the pandemic, where people have been working from home increasingly, mm. like expectations of employers is that you can, you know, you start earlier or work later or you're always going to be available. Yeah. So it's almost getting harder and harder for 
everyone to find time to actually switch off. Yeah. Well, I think that's a broader issue within like our entire society, right? Yeah. For me, there's so much meaning in the work that I do. And like you can have a nine to five and it can have meaning for you. Oh, yeah. For sure. And like that's that's not what I'm saying. But yeah. But I think generally we could be better at being boundaried around work and not work. Hmm. But it's hard. It's incredibly hard. Yeah. I took time off for the first time in like two years to move house last week. Oh, yeah. And I love that your time off also wasn't time off. Oh no, that because was the hardest were... week of my life. <laughs> but it was it was one of the first times I really felt actually detached from the business. But that's just because I was so focused on moving Maybe house and, and doing yeah. other things. But it was really enjoyable. Yeah. And it's made me appreciate having proper time off mm. more. So it's something that I'm now wanting to to try and do more of. Yeah. And actually to work a way of, you know, yeah. being able to do that. Yeah, I really hear that. I think for me it's always a balance between having enough time off where I feel like I can switch off because it always takes like a day or two to decompress yeah and then you've got to have the time off and then you have a day sort of Mm re-entry but also as a self-employed person not so much time off that I then spend the next month catching catching up. up yeah and that's the trick so I've the sweet spot for me is like four or five days where I like four or five days is the perfect amount where I can like switch off, not work and not worry that like I've got this mountain of work piling up behind me and then come back and like manage it. I mean, last year I I had two weeks off Mm -hmm. and I went on retreat. So I was like on retreats, like not a holiday, but that was at the end of June. I came back and I spent the whole of July catching up. Yeah. And I was like, I had a great time on retreat, but I really, I need to manage that differently this year. Yeah, things do pile up. Unless, yeah. unless you have a process or someone in place aiding that, mm. things pile up. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing is that time off just works differently if you're self-employed. Like it's a, yeah. it's, it doesn't work in the same way if you have a job where an employer is paying you holiday pay as well. Like yeah. I don't get holiday pay. No. You know, time off just functions differently. It needs to be planned for and accommodated for differently. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like, I love my work. I love my business. Um, I feel really privileged and really lucky to do what I do and live the life that I live. So, you know, it's not going to change anytime soon. Well, I think that's a lovely place to end. Thank you, Harriet, for being my first guest on Out of Hours. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure. If you want to get in touch with Harriet or myself or find out more about anything we discussed in this episode, then head on over to the show notes where we'll have links to everything. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a comment or review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or CastBox. It'd be great to get your thoughts and feedback on this first episode. Thanks and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks.